in the U.S., we have a lot of career paths to choose from. We can go down a road that leads us to a law degree, or one that takes us on a journey into the medical profession, or one that leads to a career on Wall Street. But there are a whole bunch of other roads that are much less traveled. Good morning. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. On this morning's show, we'll veer away from the traditional career paths and go down some of the more offbeat routes. Glad you're with us for Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. A lot of us put up with a fair amount of crap on the job, but of course, that's figuratively speaking. Well, not for all of us. My name is Rich Milko, and I work for the Mr. John Corporation. We're on Broadway between 213th Street and 214th Street. It's a demolition job of a building, so they have two toilets inside. I think they have 20, 25 people working there. Each bathroom is supposed to service 10 people for one week. And I'm just going to go in, do what i got to do, and get out of here. I have a a water hose that I have stretched out. I have two lengths of suction hose uh, through a window and have everything set up on the windowsill that I need. I'm walking over to the toilets now. Um, First thing I'm going to do is uh, pump the toilets out and the sink out. Done. Checking out the toilets. Just gotta let the vacuum catch up with itself because there's, you know, it gets the hose gets full and then you gotta wait for it to uh, catch up. I know what's in there. <laughs> I just throw the suction hose in there and get it out as fast as I can. When I get down to the bottom of the tank, I look inside to see if there's anything in there that I have to take out. Anywhere from beer cans to bottles or gloves or anything like that. Right, a couple more seconds and I'll be done. Some people can't handle it. You open the door, they stick their head, and they, you know, they just start gagging all over the place. And that's done. Getting two rolls of toilet paper to put in each one. It's an odd job, but you know, it's one of the better ones that I've had. Somebody's got to do it. And you thought your job stunk. Rich Milko works for the Mr. John Corporation. You may think differently, but I don't find anything especially odd about what I do here at WFUV. When I was about 16 years old, I cleaned bird cages at a pet shop. Now that I found a little unusual. Joining me now to talk about some of the stranger things people do to make a buck is photographer Nancy Rika Schiff. She's the author of two books on unusual occupations, Odd Jobs and Otter Jobs, both out from 10 Speed Press. Nancy, hello. Hi. When did it first hit you that people do some really wacky things for a living? I was doing a job at the Hollywood racetrack, and a strange-looking man appeared after every race. And we started talking, and his job was to time the races. And I don't know, that just got me off thinking about all the unusual jobs there might be out there that we don't normally hear about. Okay, Nancy, let's talk about some of the odd jobs that you document in these two books. First of all, there's a condom tester in Trenton, New Jersey. Yes, that's uh, Trojan condoms, 
where the condoms flow like balloons <laughs> all over the plant. It's very interesting. They have these steel mandrels. They're phallic-shaped, and they heat up, and every single condom gets tested. They put them on the steel mandrels, and then they're submerged in water. If there's any puncture in the condom, they're immediately expelled. I love the photo in your book of a condom tester at work. She has the greatest look on her face. (laughs) She was scared to death. (laughs) I don't know what the qualifications are to be a page-turner, but that's an actual job in New York City. I guess you have to know music because obviously you have to read the music as the pianist is playing and turn the pages when it's time. So this guy works at Carnegie Hall as well as Avery Fisher Hall? Yes, he's worked all over the place. He works for the pianist, so uh, he gets hired uh, by the musician. Parents don't have much of a choice, but there's a guy who actually gets paid to handle babies. Yes. That's a really old-time job. He, uh, he's hired by photographers to grab the baby's attention or on film shoots. He told me that the best, uh, his best um, prop is a red scarf or something brightly colored. He was kind of scary-looking, though, and I, I think he just made our baby cry a lot. I can tell you that he did look quite frightening in the photo in your book. <laughs> he does. He does. I'm sure a lot of guys and gals out there will be jealous of these positions that you capture in your book, the bra designer and the men's underwear designer. To put a little humor into the book, I have a male bra designer and a female men's underwear designer. So you'll notice that some of the jobs that you would think would would be done by a man is done by a woman or vice versa. You have a woman in there who is a men's bathroom attendant. Yes, and that job no longer exists either. There is a great shot in your book, a very disturbing shot, but a great shot of a crime scene photographer at work. It was a fascinating job, I thought. You know, they have these photo albums in the police station of all these gory photographs. But it's interesting because when you go to the crime scene, you start trying to figure out what happened with the policeman. I would imagine you have to have a pretty strong stomach for that kind of job. Yes, yes, a little bit. There are a couple of other jobs in your book which involve dead people. One is a mortuary beautician. Of course, I think that's one of the oddities of these odd jobs. They seem to fall into categories. A lot of people, Nancy, do this for a living. (laughs) Sniff. Yes. Oh, there's so many jobs in the smell arena. Absolutely. The cover of the book is an odor judge. And the odor judge is smelling a man's armpit because she's conducting a deodorant test. You have a perfumer here in New York as well in your book? Perfumers are called noses. As well as a paper towel sniffer? When a paper towel gets damp, it can pick up a very bad odor because of the way it's made. So they dampen paper towels and they put them in brandy snifters And they have people sniffing them to make sure there's no odor in the paper towel. Who knew? Exactly. Who also knew that dog food tester was a job, at least a job for a human being? Well, a dog's not going to tell you if he likes the food. And the other thing is the particular test that I photographed was a texture test. 
and I was told that uh, dog owners don't like uh, dog food that's going to crumble and make a mess on the floor. So this was actually a texture test where she's eating the uh, T-bone-shaped biscuit to determine if it's going to crumble and make crumbs on the counter before her. So she's comparing them to all different types of foods, like uh, from hard to soft, and they're all laid out in front of her. We've all heard of an ophthalmologist, but you captured an ocularist. An ocularist is a cross between an artist and sort of a, not a scientist, but she makes artificial eyes for people who have lost an eye for whatever reason. And the artistry comes in when she actually paints the eyeball. She fits it and then paints it to every patient. The photo in your book has this woman with eyeballs all around her. It's a great visual, eyeballs looking at you. <laughs> one of my favorite photos in your books is one showing the clockmaster at work in New York City. What a wonderful photograph. Thank you. And he was a wonderful man who actually inherited his job by volunteering in the beginning to repair some of the old clocks around New York City. And eventually they gave him the title and the position of clockmaster in New York. And that clock was down uh, the federal building downtown. There's nothing especially strange about being a veterinarian, but you found a fish doctor, and I think that's pretty odd. He is a regular veterinarian, but his specialty is in fish. And he deals with mainly koi fish because they're so expensive that the owners of these expensive fish, you know, want to take care of them. So he will go out to their locations and check the water, which is really the most important thing is the fish's environment. But he also told me that most people feed their fish too much, and the fish actually lose their buoyancy when they're fed too much. Tell us about Miss Vera's finishing school for boys who want to be girls. Well, she has the first cross-dressing academy probably in the world. (laughs) Her students are primarily married men. She gives classes in high-heel walking, in how to dress, how to do makeup. The final exam is taking her student out in public and seeing if he, she passes. And that's right here in New York City. It certainly is. Where else? (laughs) Did most of the people you documented, Nancy, just fall into their line of work? Yes, Um, although there were some who, you know, always dreamt of doing what they were doing and and followed their dream. What's the oddest one that you've encountered, do you think? The knife thrower's assistant has to have the strangest job in the world. I mean, anyone who can stand there and have someone throw hatchets at them. Now you have two books, Odd Jobs and Otter Jobs. Do you plan to do any more? Not at the moment, but I do have to say that the most wonderful thing that happened as a result of the books, it's been used by career counselors and human resource people, and it was voted to be on the teenage list by the New York Public Library. And I spoke to one of the young panelists from the New York Public Library And he said it inspired creativity. 
And that, to me, was the biggest compliment of all. Right. It helps people to think outside of the box. You know, there are more than just these traditional jobs. Exactly. Exactly. And if that's what this book is doing, it warms my heart. Nancy Rikaschiff. The books are Odd Jobs and Otter Jobs. They're out from 10 Speed Press. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Good morning. I'm George Bodarki. On this morning's show, we're exploring the odder things people do for a living. Todd Robbins works in the lighting industry. Kind of, sort of. He gets paid to eat light bulbs. Well, to be honest, his job is more diverse than just that. He also swallows swords and shoves nails up his nose. You see, Todd has his own sideshow act. He joined us in the studios here at WFUV to talk about and demonstrate his unique job. Todd, welcome to Cityscape. It's good to be here. You do something extremely unique here in New York City. Actually, I should say around the world you do this. I'm a sideshow guy. I do strange and unusual feats of amazement. It's like magic tricks without the trick part, without the deception. How long have you been doing this? I've been involved with this for over 30 years. I got started when I was just a kid growing up in Southern California. And when I was about 12 years old, a uh, sideshow came to our neighborhood as part of a carnival. And I went in there to see the magic act because I was one of the big 10 acts and attractions that was promised on the outside by the outside talker. So I went in to see the magic act, but it was the guy swallowing swords, the person eating fire, that captured my imagination because this stuff was all real. And it was extraordinary ability beyond the capability of the average person. And that's a pretty good definition of real magic. I want to know where this, this stuff came from. I want to know the backstory on it all. I want to know about the personal history and how these guys came to it. And because of that, and having a deeper appreciation than just how cool it was, uh, it gave me entree into this whole world, the world of the carnival. There was um, a guy who didn't act. His name was Red, Red Garland. And he did an act that was known as the human garbage disposal or the human ostrich. And uh, he would eat glass. And he showed me uh, how to do glass eating. And it's, it's, again, it's a pretty simple little act. And you like a hot meal. so yeah, you... I've, got a, I've got a work light here, which I will turn on so the folks at home can see it on the radio. And, wait, well, anyway. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's just your average 60-watt bulb. I usually eat 100-watt bulbs, but I'm on a diet. And it's a GE bulb. You know what GE stands for? What's that? Good eating. Thank ah. you. Good, good setup there. Thank you. Uh, and it is legit. There's no two ways about it. It is also the most dangerous of all the old sideshow stunts to do because the essence of all the sideshow things, whether it be the human blockhead or sword swallowing or fire eating, is control. That you learn the principles behind it. You learn what's required skill-wise. You learn what the body has to do to adapt. And you get comfortable doing it, and that increases your control over what you're doing. There's no real control halfway through. Uh, and as you'll see, I'll, I'll, I'll just do the routine for you here. It is a, a simple thing. I'm just going to take this light bulb and bite into it and chow down on the broken glass. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to tap it into the microphone here. Prepare yourself it's, so people can hear. It's real glass. Now, here it goes. You know, it's funny. When you see a magician do his tricks, 
he makes you think what you're seeing is real. Now, I'm going to show you something that's 100% real, but you're probably going to think it's a trick because it's common knowledge. You can't eat glass. Now, I'm here to prove to you with what I'm about to do that common knowledge is often a bunch of bunk. And, uh, you know, it's like I say, it's common knowledge, and, and common knowledge is often wrong. And don't, you shouldn't take people's word for things in life. We should find out things for ourselves. The world would be in a much better place if people found out things for themselves instead of taking the word of others. And we can start with what I'm about to do right now because I'm just going to bite into this. Again, don't try this at home. Uh, this is so dangerous. I don't want anyone to even think about doing it. Uh, every once in a while, as a matter of fact, when I bite into this, I get a cut on my lip or gum. You might see a little trickle of blood. <laughs> Ooh, that was a dirty laugh. I'll have it dry cleaned. Thank you, Melvin Burkhardt, for that joke. Here it goes. Ah. And you broke that mm-hmm. with your teeth. Just bit into it. Spit out the metal part because I got to fly to Chicago. <laughs> Don't want to set off the alarm. Yeah, I mean, if you were working security at Newark, would you believe my story? I can almost hear the snap of the latex <laughs> glove. Yeah, so I'm just going to stick to the broken glass here. This will bring in the pledge dollars, don't you think? Yes, you bought. If this doesn't, I don't know what will. Oh, look, 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 stuffing. Little shards there. <laughs> mm. Just the sound alone is enough to make yeah. me cringe. It, uh... And I'm watching it, too. Mm-hmm. Ah. The entire light bulb is now in Todd's mouth. And he's crunching on it. <laughs> Tastes like chicken. <laughs> you know, it's something that makes it all worthwhile. And that's the look on the two of your faces right oh, now. I'm sure. you know, both of you and Joe in the booth here. It makes it all worthwhile because you see the chewing up of the glass and the swallowing. That's the easy part of the stunt. That's the easy part. Yeah, it's what's coming up a couple of days from now that I'm not looking forward to. <laughs> I'm sure. Brings new meaning to the phrase light at the end of the tunnel, doesn't it? It's not just this one light bulb. Oh, no, no, see, I have a light bulb in every performance. When I'm working out in Coney Island, I've eaten 10 to 12 light bulbs a day. I've eaten so much glass, I could pass a chandelier. <laughs> I'll tell you, I've got so much glass in my colon right now. If I passed gas, you'd hear a wind chime tinkling in the breeze. But I digress. I'm now going to swallow the glass. Here goes. Hmm. Don't you hate it when you get a piece of glass stuck in your teeth? I hate that. Let me floss with the filament. (laughs) And he is flossing with Ah, filament. Because good dental care is an important thing, you know? Do you prefer water Hmm? with your glass? What was that? Do you prefer water with your glass? Yeah, yeah. Good wine? Yeah, I mean, this is nice. This is actually good stuff. It's not New York City water. (laughs) That's the most dangerous part. Uh -uh. I've got to get a real job. Todd's now washing down the light bulb with a bottle of water. Mm-hmm. 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 
little residual. <laughs> All gone. Oh, there's nothing like a light snack. A light snack. It's just like comedy. A little bit there, but anyway. Yeah. And you're okay. I'm okay. And the reason I do it is because of the look on your faces. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's about amazement. I'm nearly at a loss for words. Yeah. Here. Well, you see, the great thing about it is that when you see this stuff and you are amazed, it instills in you a really profound sense of amazement. And you start thinking. You start uh, that wonder kicks in. You go, well, how can you eat glass? Where the hell does that nail go? Uh, and things like that. And that means you're thinking, and that's the greatest thing of all, because we've got too much fear in our world these days, not nearly enough rational thought. So that's the real reason I enjoy doing this. It's not to, because I enjoy grossing you out. I do enjoy grossing you out, but like I say, it goes further than that. And digestion is okay. Yeah, yeah. How long did it take you to learn that? Um, no, not long. That was really, when it comes to glassing, you've got to learn sort of what goes into it beyond the act. And there's a diet and regimen that I go through every day that keeps glass moving through my system. And there's a way of chewing up that glass and swallowing it, as you see, so it flushes all down and doesn't cut up the mouth and throat. It takes about two days to go through. And one light bulb is not a problem, but you start doing multiple light bulbs a day. And it, uh, I'm just, when it comes out, I'm just glad I'm sitting down. That's all I can say. Are there a lot of young people going into your line of work? Do you serve as a career counselor, so to speak? In conjunction with Coney Island, USA, uh, I started up a sideshow school out there, which goes on to this day. The classes are run twice a, uh, a year. So the idea was to teach it and teach it right, so that if people are going to do it, they'll be able to do it more than once. What's the most challenging part of the job for you? There's two things. I mean, skill-wise, sword swallowing is the most uh dangerous and difficult to learn and uh it, there's so much that can go wrong with it every uh, professional sword swallower sooner or later ends up hurting themselves i myself ended up in an emergency room in wichita kansas one night at three o'clock in the morning after doing a show that's the most challenging and then the other side of it is to convince people that what they're seeing is real i don't think that anybody could physically make that crunching sound without actually eating glass if you did well, that was a heck of a trick you know when i do the uh, when i do the light uh, bulb i pass it out to be examined and let everyone take a look at it people that are just out for entertainment i try to have some fun with it and do the jokes and make it as engaging to as wide an audience as possible well well there you go oh nothing really nothing at all Todd Robbins is a self-proclaimed postmodern master of the sideshow. Want to see him in action? Check out toddrobbins.com for a list of scheduled performances. If you drive to and from work here in New York City, then you know you can make a career out of sitting in traffic. And sometimes that's because one of the city's bridges is open to allow a boat through, which got us wondering, what's it like to be a New York City bridge operator? My name is Anthony Small. Working for Department of Transportation, bridge operator, in charge of eight movable bridges on the FDR. We're on McCombs Dam Bridge, 155. It's a landmark bridge that has now been reconstructed with new machinery, new mechanical devices, warning gates, barrier gates. We have like 600 vessels pass through this year. I see the crane barges and oil tankers, transformers pass through here. We got to get notification when the vessel's coming. This is a swing bridge. A swing bridge swings. 
So it opens in um, clockwise. It goes different directions. This is the control board. On the control board, you have traffic lights. We have the horns. Gates that close. We have warning gates. You have the barrier gates. I have a team of five people. I have myself, my assistant, and my three other assistants. I have my operator that train. So we all have marine radios that we contact with each other and to the um, Coast Guard, to the vessel, to the tug. Make sure safety is first, make sure the traffic is stopped. Just in case any emergencies, you gotta call NYPD, fire department, so they can notify if anything goes wrong. Is that okay, McCoon dams might be stuck when it's down like 90 degrees, heat expands so the bridge gets stuck. We have water trucks that come right down the bridge to cool it down so we can open it and close. So we have different procedures for everything. When I first started here, I didn't even know the bridge was open. So when I seen it open for the first time, I was shocked. I was like, wow, I hope I can get a chance to do that. And I got my chance to do that. If you want to make a lasting impression in your career, this next job may not be for you. That's because your work only lasts so long. And if you created something for an outdoor summer wedding, well, it may not last very long at all. My name is Shintaro Okamoto, and I am the founder and creative director for Okamoto Studio Ice Sculpture, based in Long Island City. I started this company with uh, my father, Takeo Okamoto. Ice, you know, is a very uh, fascinating medium, but it also, you know, it requires a lot of care. So now I'm going to have two uh, sculptors from our production team uh, create uh, a raw bar, uh, which is basically an ice structure uh, where oysters and shrimps will go into uh, along with a backdrop sculptural piece that's shaped like uh, an iceberg crystal. My name is Kazadachi. I'm an ice sculptor at Okamoto Studio. My name is Gerard Greco, and I'm an ice sculptor at uh, Okamoto Studios. Right now we're in freezer number two, and uh, I'm just grabbing a block of ice that we're going to be carving right now getting it ready. It stays pretty cold, but thank God we don't have to work in here. <laughs> we usually carve it at room temperature. Um, when uh, the ice is really cold, it usually gets pretty brittle, so it can crack pretty easy. And uh, So working with it at room temperature makes it a little bit easier. Lifting the ice is usually a two-man operation, because uh, how much do you think this weighs? About 200, yeah, about 150 pounds, so... It's quite a, quite a weight. We're just kind of smoothing out the uh, surface of the ice because it was real rough and uneven. So we're just kind of making it a little bit even, more even right now. When all the measurements are down, I'll be able to go in and just start carving. showing off my guns. <laughs> the chainsaw takes a little bit of time getting used to, but uh, once you get used to it, it's not too hard to manage. Right now, I'm just uh, kind of establishing a depth at which we're going into the block. This is going to be the backdrop of the uh, roar, roar bar tray that 
Gerard's making over there. It's an iceberg design. Working with the big block of ice, you get to do uh, interesting carving. The handsaw is used for uh, just uh, kind of smoothing out rough surfaces and stuff. We're done making the uh, initial cuts, uh, and now it's just time to uh, get the uh, heat pan going and uh, make all the surfaces nice and smooth and clear and uh, basically uh, just kind of finalize everything. Now I'm using the hose to clean up the sculpture, get rid of all the snow. The snow will freeze and leave a white mark, so I just want to get rid of all the snow. Ice would, you know, look clear. Both of these uh, pieces are going to go into the freezer separate, and they're not going to be joined together until they're actually on site. It's such a laborious job uh, getting it all there in one piece, and you have to be delicate and gentle every step of the way. But then once the event's over, it's just water. So <laughs> it feels pretty good to just break down a sculpture. I don't know why. It's kind of liberating. Every time I tell somebody my job, they always say, what? You're all what? Got to do what you got to do to pay the bills, right? Ice Sculptors at Okamoto Studio in Long Island City. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki, and I'm sticking to my day job. My thanks to producer Rashida Winfield, and I hope she sticks to her day job, too. Have a great weekend.